and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Roos, founder and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. On today's podcast, we'll discuss new research from the Digital Banking Report that has just been released on the current status of digital transformation in the banking industry. This research not only looked at digital transformation maturity of banking today, but also the components of digital transformation of leader organizations. The research has found that there is still more hype than reality when we look at the progress of digital transformation in banking. While the focus is on improving the customer experience, few organizations have leveraged intelligent technologies to deliver on this mission. To discuss this research report and the implications of the findings, I'm joined today by Alan Treffler, founder and CEO of PEGA, the sponsor of this digital banking report research. Alan not only provides his insights on where the industry is from a technology perspective, but also discusses the challenges of embracing new business models, finding the right talent, changing internal cultures, and creating customer engagement. Welcome to the show, Alan. Glad to have you on the show. Oh, thank you, Jim. Pleasure to be here. First of all, I, I want to take this opportunity to thank you and PEGA for being the sponsor of uh, the Digital Banking Report entitled The State of Digital Banking Transformation. It not only provides a vast amount of insight as to where the industry is today, but also some of the challenges we face in the future. I think one of the big takeaways from the research is that there's still a long way to go as the banking industry tries to compete with non-traditional players and meet the needs of the changing consumer. Does this coincide with what you've seen in the industry recently? What we see going on is really quite interesting, that organizations are increasingly understanding that they need to transform their businesses. But as they try to do it, as I suspect the research will demonstrate, there are lots of gaps. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because as I look at where we are and where we're going in 2018 at PegaWorld, you delivered a keynote presentation entitled From Digital Chaos to Digital Transformation. I'm wondering if the, if the banking industry, as we see it, is still in somewhat a state of chaos as they try to become digital, so to speak. Well, I think there is progress in the banking industry, but I would tell you that I believe the chaos reigns quite broadly. You have banks who have, I think, learned that they're not going to be overrun by fintechs because, you know, frankly, many of them have the reputations, have the relationships that enable them to create a bit of a moat. But they know that there are huge risks out there. And frankly, I think they're struggling routinely in trying to figure out what their mission should be. Should their mission be to emulate the fintechs? Should their mission be to try to create more platform-oriented solutions that will enable them to engage more broadly with their customers? How do threats and opportunities like open banking apply to the banks. I think there's a lot of wrestling in financial services, both banking and insurance, actually, that tie to all of these points. Well, yeah, and I think we also see in the research board out that, you know, the, the challenges and where every organization is, it's interesting that I think we see the, the most a level of transformation probably happening at the biggest and at the smallest end of the asset scale but there's a really wide gap in that middle ground of assets, both the what I'll call the large community and the smaller, even regional banks that I think they're more stuck in the past 
than the biggest or smallest organizations. Do you see that same thing out there? Well, I actually think the problem rises all the way to the largest organizations very, very clearly. And they may be doing a variety of things, but a lot of them are struggling to actually get the outcomes that they desire. And in the process of doing that, I think that, as you mentioned my Pegger World keynote, one of the things that we've observed is that banks, and, and this is even more true for very large banks, are making several really well-intentioned but disastrous mistakes. Such as what? Well, I think there are three that we see routinely. You know, first, all the banks talk about clients or customers. We want to be one with our customers. We're going to defend ourselves from fintechs or attack by having broad customer relationships. And they do that, but then, and especially at the larger banks, what they immediately do is um, accidentally ignore that by organizing around channels. So they've got the group that's doing the web channel and they get the mobile group and then they got the group worrying about the contact center and the person trying to put up uh, messages on the ATM. You know, all of a sudden you've got business logic and processes being defined in these channels. And, you know, that might feel really good. You can get something up fast, but boy, when you then want to evolve things or you want to be able to offer a customer an experience that can begin in one channel, pause, and then move to another channel, you're just out of luck. And so this logic in the channel mistake, which I would tell you when you talk to CXOs at, at organizations, both business and technology CXOs, uh, they sometimes pause and say, yeah, we're doing that. But by doing that, they're, they're falling into, I say, one of the three traps that, that we like to talk about. Well, and it's interesting because I had a, a speech I did, I guess it's two years ago now, that somebody in the audience said, and he put it very well, he says, you know, the, the problem is that bankers just can't get out of their own way. And that that's in a nutshell what's going on is that we we think the right things, we talk about digital transformation, and then we somehow put in the context of legacy banking organizations, both with the silos, with the organizational structure, we have goals set that way. And as you mentioned, between, you know, the channel changing from, uh, let's say, a digital channel, and then we, in many cases, force the consumer to go to a different channel, and our measurement functions make it so that the beginning of that journey completely dissipates. You don't even know what happened because they'll start from scratch. It's so easy these days for customers to switch or for customers to find an alternative. It's especially dangerous. So that's the first of the problems. You used a word, silos, which I describe as the third of the problems, to tell you the truth, where people aren't thinking end-to-end. What they're thinking of is just department-to-department or function-to-function. And that sort of siloed mentality is extremely dangerous for businesses. And I, I jumped over the second problem I like to talk about, which is everyone says that they want to achieve automation. They want to be able to, to digitize, to be able to drive out costs and increase speed. But so much of what's going on these days is just task automation. It's not organized around outcomes at all. So those are the three elements, putting logic in the channels when you think you want to serve your client, being able to, to think about outcomes as opposed to just automating tasks and understanding that the silos will kill you. Those, I think, are the, the traps that are 
undermining and creating chaos in organizations. And, you know, it's funny because when you're in, say, quote, you know, the digital or, you know, people sometimes are confused as digital web, is digital mobile, is it all of the above, none of the above. When you're in one of those channels, it might look like you're doing all the right things. But if you peel yourself out and, and look from the external in, you say, boy, we're just not treating our customers in a coherent fashion. Which is why there needs to be a completely different way of looking at this. Well, yeah, and now you have a consumer that really knows better. I mean, we've benefited for the last several decades, certainly as long as I've been in banking, that we kind of drove what the consumer is going to get. Well, now the consumer has enough comparisons out there in the marketplace that are not in the banking space, and in some cases are in the banking space, that they know things can be better. And I think what's interesting is that the self-evaluation, you know, our first question in the survey was, what do you consider yourself with regard to how well you're doing along the path of digital transformation or digital maturity? And what was interesting is that it's somewhat concerning that, you know, we had less than 20% of the organizations say that they consider themselves a pioneer or advanced with the majority considering themselves either fast followers or mainstream players. And you've been in the industry long enough, you know, to know that that fast follower was a comfort zone or a mainstream player was a comfort zone for the past, but that certainly isn't a really good comfort zone going forward. Well, particularly if they're not following very fast. You know, I, I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, one, yeah. Of the, one of the advantages of not being the way out there pioneer is you get to learn from what you see other people doing. But we see lots of organizations that have almost uh, fostered an intentional blindness to not really think holistically about what other organizations are doing, but just trying to glom on to quick and dirty solutions. I mean, otherwise, how can you expect, you know, look at all these companies, banks at the forefront that are doing this robotic process automation, which honestly, if you go look at it in many of these organizations, you know, maybe it does something in a department or two, but putting little robots in your back office is no way to do a better job for your clients. If anything, it just ossifies and makes a lot of that stuff work. By the way, we sell robots as part of what we do. We just don't think they should be the point of the sphere. You know? And a lot of times when organizations look at other organizations to say, hey, I'm a fast follower, what are the leaders doing? They're not actually validating that those early adopters are getting the benefits. And as a result, they're not really learning from those organizations, and many of them are repeating the same mistakes. Well, and also you get into a situation then that, especially in the digital world, it's not necessarily good to even follow the fast transforming companies because, you know, for instance, the if I'm a mid-sized regional, I'm not too sure if I should be following the Chase branch strategy. There's one of these things that say, okay, are you following the right organization? And do you really know how that other organization is using the things that seem to be fairly apparent in the marketplace? You know, it's, it's Well, I think that's very true, Jim. And being able to have a strategy in a context of your own is one of those things that, you know, particularly mid-sized organizations should be able to be really good at because, you know, frankly, their problems are often simpler. But if you think of a, a mid-sized organization thinking that it wants to, you know, create a little innovation hub in Silicon Valley and doesn't look at the fact that nearly all of those haven't paid off for the big players who've done it, well, boy, that's a mistake. If they want to follow one of the, one of the players who, for example, just operates on mobile, 
But their value proposition is that they actually have real people. Not everything's going through a mobile device or a website. Then they throw away their advantages. You need to put what you're choosing to do as a follower into a context that makes sense for you, not just one of the brand names. Well, it's almost like looking at the difference between what Sears did in their transformation, which was buying Kmart, and what Walmart's done in their transformation, moving from a store to also being a digital player. They use the branches as an advantage in Walmart, but also build a digital entity, while Sears almost doubled down on a bad strategy. Perfect example, and you can see the trajectory of Sears versus, uh, <laughs> versus Walmart very, very clearly written. So while it's encouraging that organizations mentioned improving the customer experience as a primary driver for digital transformation efforts in our research, do you see that organizations still kind of focus on cost containment as a goal and sometimes call that customer experience? Well, I think that cost containment both an achievable and reasonable goal to go after while you're doing digital transformation. And if you do it right, then the cost containment and the idea of a coherent client experience do march along together. But if you just go after cost containment, you can make some of those mistakes of, of frankly, locking yourselves into more silos. And that's where I think some people lose their way. So it goes back to being able to have a strategy, have a picture in your mind of how your organization you know, wants to evolve over time. Well, and when you're talking about cost containment, you know, we sometimes avoid what I'll call the elephant in the room, which is the branch situation. You know, the biggest cost that most organizations have is in their distribution network. And even though those are being used less and less, that's one of those untouchables that create the biggest amount of difference between a traditional bank and a digital player. How do you see an organizations addressing that in the marketplace as you're reaching out to your customers? Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned Chase, which we're privileged to have as a client for a lot of years. You know, they actually are adopting an active branch strategy because they recognize that you can contain the cost, particularly with a lot of automation and, and perhaps with branches designed differently. You can contain costs compared to what you used to do years ago. But boy, there were times in somebody's life where being able to actually go in and talk to a person makes all the difference. You know, take a look at Amazon opening stores. The idea that you want to be a purely digital organization can make sense for a brand new startup. But if you're an organization that is looking to retain a reputation, retain a customer segment, then I believe you need a mix of channels to be able to engage the customers in the way they want to be engaged. Or you'll just be driven out of business by the people who probably do the tech stuff more effectively than you. Well, you know, it's interesting because you brought it up earlier is that – and then more than just providing more channels, these channels have to talk to each other. I would actually say it's even more important than talking to each other that they're designed so that the logic and the processes, which are at the heart of everything that happens in banking, that that logic, that processes don't get buried in any of the individual channels because otherwise – the world gets ossified and too complex. We, we talk about thinking from the middle out, from being able to have a, an engine, a customer engagement engine, which is, for example, what the Commonwealth Bank of Australia calls the way they use us and the way I'm describing. Being able to do an engagement engine that's going to drive consistent, coherent, personal engagement across all the channels tied to a workflow engine that knows how to deal with the different backends that exist, which in the future 
the bank may not even own. In the world of open banking, that back end is somebody else's loyalty product, somebody else's credit instrument. You're just bringing it together and presenting it as a bundle. Thinking from the middle, from the heart of your business out, gives you a completely different perspective than, than trying to think from the channel in or trying to do that sort of you know, BS cost containment in little point solutions in the back office. And we've seen organizations that are really starting to have meaningful impact by understanding it's the way they draw the picture that makes the difference. Well, it's interesting because you, we take Amazon as an example again. They realized that one of the pain points for consumers was returning things. Now, mind you, there's no place better than Amazon to return things because they continue to deliver whatever you need returned back to you in whatever form you need it. If it's a different size, different color, whatever, they'll deliver it to you before you've even returned whatever it was that you need to return. But now they've worked with a different company in many cases, Kohl's being one of them, where you can now return items purchased at Amazon to Kohl's and it'll be it is better than building a bunch of stores just for returns. But there they're using an outside retailer to provide a return vehicle. How great is that when you consider the fact that they don't have to build a bunch of stores to do that. They're building buying stores as well as returning network. I think that is terrific. And you see evidence in other industries. For example, um, a tremendous amount of telephones are sold through third-party channels right. that aren't the brick-and-mortar stores that are, a Verizon or AT&T might create. It might be in a Best Buy or some other channel. And you know, even in the banking industry, we've seen banks pair up with supermarkets and other places to create much lighter-touch personal interactions. But what we think is critical is that across all those channels, there is a coherent client engagement, that the way the client is engaged, your knowledge about the customer, what you tell the customer that you think they should be doing, needs to be just aligned. It needs to be sensible. and needs to be real-time. That's what we see as the difference, frankly, regardless of industry. You know, the research we did on behalf of PEGA on digital transformation, we found that, not surprising, as we've seen in other research we've done for the Digital Bank Report, that there's less than a robust use of AI and advanced analytics, and, and pretty much a lot of it is still in the area of risk and security as opposed to personalization and more outward-facing utilizations. Is this going to be an issue for the industry going forward? Well, I think there's a lot of confusion about what AI is and when and how it should be used. You know, we have uh, an AI customer engagement platform that's used by – you know, one of the top three banks in the U.S. You know, is using this literally millions of times a day to make that personalization happen for its clients. And to do that, you're not just thinking about AI in a theoretical sense, like how do I find patterns in the data? You're thinking about how do I deliver that AI to the desktop, to the call center, to the ATM? How do I deliver that AI in an omni-channel way that is coherent and means that if a customer has an experience in one channel, well, the bank knows about it and can influence what happens in the next channel about it. That sort of thing, to my mind, is true. AI, in practice, so much of what we see going on is kind of AI and BS. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, exactly. A, a lot of it, you know, a lot of it is really, really just, I think, miscategorizing, and in some cases, involving risk to particularly a bank around some of the sensitive issues we're hearing about around AI. Well, it's interesting because I sometimes, when I speak to groups, I say, you know, we've got to stop doing analytics for just better reports internally. 
we need to do it for better experiences. And and the challenge I have is, you know, I use two top six banks, one for business, one for consumer side. And I go, the fact that the banks really, really, really know me is not enough. They got to show me they know me, which isn't done very well. You know, they if I went to, let's say, Wells Fargo and said, tell me everything you know about me, I'd probably be scared by all they knew. The problem is, on a daily basis, I don't get the sense that they really know me. So they don't deploy it, as you mentioned, through the channels the way you'd hope that they would do. Well, there's a big difference between being able to theorize and being able to operationalize. And I think that's a gap that AI has fallen into. And um, we're seeing some customers come through the other end of it. And boy, are they getting amazing returns. Yeah. Yeah. So when we look at the changes happening in, in every industry, not just in banking, I think one of the biggest, again, elephants in the room referring to that phrase again, is the lack of talent to really move organizations forward. Not only is there a gap, because my son goes to university right now and he's taking digital analytics, business analytics, uh, marketing, and, and logistics. And he goes, it's hard to find the teachers that can teach this now because so many of them have gone to private industry. How do you believe that organizations need to address this challenge going forward? Well, I think they can rely on industry. You know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but, you know, at PEGA, with the work that we've done and with our teams of analytics experts and software experts, we've worked to make this real-time AI consumable as opposed to so much of the AI that's out there, you know, that's some Google or Amazon web service. Those things don't plug in to actual business solutions, which, you know, in the banking industry, we understand what the key elements are that make somebody decide whether they need a new credit card or not, or how they should uh, divide their credit portfolio. And then how do you bring that to the customer in real time or to the agent the customer is talking about in real time? And if it doesn't work, if that wasn't the right thing, how do you learn from that and stop annoying the customer with the same offer they don't want? Those are what I would describe as the linkage between the highly theoretical AI, which we, of course, have to do to get started, and the highly operational AI, which ultimately is the difference between that sort of personal success and personal interaction you want. And frankly, it's obviously in the interest of the banks that are serving you as well. When you're looking at automation also, and you're looking at a lot of roles that are traditional banking roles that some you know managers maybe have had for 15, 20 years, as those change, do you see organizations have to take it upon themselves to upskill, reskill, maybe transform towards an ongoing learning process to address this challenge from a standpoint of, you know, jobs are definitely going to be changing? Well, I think that the opportunity here is to actually uplift and improve the technology that is now central to pretty much every job that exists in a financial services institution. And, you know, when you take a look at, for example, some of the problems that some banks have had around opening accounts that shouldn't have been opened, a lot of that is because the banks have rules and processes and roles that are not connected to a technical background. And there's a great opportunity to actually create tooling that makes it easier for people to change jobs and to do new processes, engage with their customers, but also puts the guardrails around that. So that, you know, it's crazy to think that a computer system allowed somebody to sit down at the end of the day pounding in uh, account applications. That's a perfect example of where people tried to layer on top of inadequate systems 
manual processes that, well, frankly, didn't work. And you see that time after time. That's why I think it's the perspective that these organizations have that needs to change. And that will put them in the right mindset to digitally transform, not digitally transform the little transactions, but digitally transform the actual end-to-end customer experience, what we call the micro journey that organizations do with their clients all the time. You talked about the micro journey. We talk about implementing the technology. You know, one of the things that we've discussed and we found on the research is that it's more than just buying the technology. And it's more than just great partnerships around the technology. There's still got to be a deployment. And in discussions with Peg and a lot of the other players out there, you know, we, we keep on hearing the fact that as big of an issue as buying the technology is really internally understanding how it needs to be deployed and the culture necessarily to give it a, a platform for growth and for implementation. How are you dealing with the whole challenge of changing of culture and, and getting people to really understand the power of what you're selling? Well, I think there are two parts. One is we're looking to build what's called design thinking concepts, the whole way that you think about using and deploying the technology. We're actually building that into the technology itself. So the technology guides you and walks you through the workflows that you need as an implementer to help make sure that you're hitting your business objectives. And we're really excited by the progress and the speed with which we have. We have clients go live with major systems in 90 or 100 days that are game-changing for them. But let me say one thing, the comment about, you know, it's not just the technology, it's more than that. On one hand, that is absolutely true. But on the other hand, I see that being used as an excuse (laughs) by companies whose technology isn't actually that's very good. You know, we have a bunch of companies out there now that are just amalgams or what I call Frankenstacks of dozens or more other companies that have been bought, glued together, had the PowerPoints merged, but actually under the covers, it's a collection of technical debt and a mess. And I hear those companies sometimes successfully talking to customers saying, hey, it's not the technology. You know, we'll help hold your hand. Well, if the technology is wrong, as you know, we've learned in lots of industries, you know, there's a reason that Windows phones don't exist, right? The technology is wrong. You can be as big or successful or historically as smart as possible, and you will fail in the future. And we actually see a lot of that happening. You know, it's a little bit like that old Siebel promise that just buy Siebel and everything was going to be better. There are lots of new Siebels out there that are just glued together, frankly, messes. One other thing that's interesting is, and you mentioned how quickly you can get an implementation in place today, agility and flexibility in the marketplace. Where do you see that playing a role? We didn't really ask it in the survey we did about, because it's hard to define how somebody's going to self-determine agility and flexibility. How important is that in today's marketplace as opposed to, let's do our annual update of systems? Well, I think agility is critical. You know, the reality is it's almost impossible to get things perfect the first time. And the whole culture of becoming more agile has to be based on the thought that things are, A, quick to deploy, what we call a minimum lovable product. You should love it, but you want to get something in fast. And then easy and reliable and safe to extend and evolve. And that we call build for change vision is exactly how we think the winners will differentiate themselves from the losers. 
Speaking of winners and losers, you've been with Pegasus since the beginning. You're the founder and CEO. You've been with the organization a very long time in bank years, but you've transformed the organization over time to address the needs of the marketplace. What's been the biggest change that you've seen the marketplace during your tenure as to what you not only provide the consumer, but how they deploy what you're providing? You know, I've seen a lot of changes over three decades, but the biggest change I've seen is one that's really come on in what I would say the last five years, which is the movement of Pega as a company from being a software company, a company that delivered software, to what we talk about internally is moving our culture to become an as-a-service company, where what we're delivering is outcomes. And doing that, whether somebody's running on Pega Cloud and you know they don't have to worry about the technology at all, but they're just you know concerning themselves and achieving an outcome, or whether they choose to run it on their cloud, because we have a multi-cloud strategy, everybody is really focused on picking the right technology, but not having to worry about it, and being able to really get their heads into the business and the business deliverable. Frankly, that's a change that not only has been massive for our business, but we see our customers, we see the market increasingly expect as a service treatment. You know, when somebody can go and buy a Daimler car or a Ford or a Nissan, and they don't actually, for example, have to worry about the loan. They don't have to worry about the insurance. They don't have to worry about the maintenance. They just pay a monthly fee and they've bought mobility as a service. Well, that includes lots of financial services products in it. You know, that transition is going to be what makes it super important for organizations to think in that middle-out fashion that I was talking about. Because it's in the middle that you'll hit the different channels with amalgams of offerings, some of which that come from your company and some of which that don't. And boy, that's going to upend a lot of these businesses, like auto lending, for example, and a whole variety of offerings. Which is interesting because as I look at the transformation of just the name of your company, the dropping of the word systems as far as Pega Systems to Pega was more than just a simplification of the brand. It really states to the way the industry as a whole is transforming what they expect from their partners. You know, they're expecting more than just the software or the hardware. They really need post-sales service, but also having a professional that can really help deploy the solutions. And people who are reaching beyond their traditional boundaries to create guidance and provide insight and provide partnership like we do with our customers, and frankly, they need to be able to do with theirs. This timing goes so fast, and I really enjoyed talking today. And I, I, again, I'm going to do a shameless plug here that for those listeners that are interested, please look on the Digital Banking Report website and download the State of Digital Banking Transformation, which was sponsored by Pega. I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Well, thank you, and I hope you get to join us in Boston for uh, Pega World Inspire at the beginning of June. I promise it will be warmer. Sure, hoping for it. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Jim. Take care. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform. Just raise a top 10 banking podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, please be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to give our show a five-star rating. Also be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out our research that we are doing on digital transformation, retail banking innovation, the digital customer experience, and financial marketing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Bridget Coyne, and audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman. 
I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, have a great week. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.